Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. This is the Rookie Snapshot Series and we are on to episode number two where Yahoo Sports NFL draft expert Eric Edholm and I will discuss wide receivers. Eric, are you ready to talk about one of the deepest position classes in this year's draft? I remember one year ago, we did the same series, we did the same position, and boasting that, wow, this is an all-time class, you're not going to believe it. Liz, it might be better. This group might actually, might transcend last year's, which had some special receivers that that you know well about. Yes, but how much of this year's class is being considered, or I don't know, maybe, maybe not considered because of the lack of sample size. We have many star uh, players who played for, you know, big, big teams, big names uh, that opted out. We're going to talk about one off the top, but um, of their 2020 season. So how is all of that factoring in to the wide receiver scouting process for you? Yeah, it's complicated, no doubt about it. And, you know, we had a couple players with injuries that, you know, marred their final seasons too. But really, you know, anytime a player you know, miss their final year, whether it was by choice or, or not, you know, you're, you're looking at tape that's a little bit old. You don't know exactly what kind of shape they're in. You don't know what kind of development they may have been able to have during their final season. So it complicates it. But, you know, then you go back sometimes and watch the tape and say, oh, yeah, that guy's really good. He's yeah. dominant. There's a reason why he opted out. So I guess I'll be curious to see if this trend continues uh, without any, you know, COVID-related uh, effects. Maybe they'll be more opt-outs in the future that don't just include bowl games or things like that. You know, when we talked about running backs, we talked about a couple of players that made themselves more money by playing their senior years, which is not necessarily the tradition or the thought, especially maybe not in this particular year. But from your point of view, I'm curious as to whether or not you hear agents muttering about strategy heading into this particular NFL draft. In terms of, what do you mean exactly? Well, the opting out, when they opt out in the season, because not everybody opted out, you know, over the summer or in August. Yeah, no, I mean, right. There were players who opted out after six games, eight games. So they they some who just skipped the ball game, others who just said, you know, I'm going to punt on the entire season. And there's no doubt that the the agent influence had an effect on that. You know, in fact, our number one receiver that we're going to talk about there are a lot of people who suggest it really had nothing to do with COVID. And mm-hmm. we've seen it before. Miles Jack, Nick Bosa, guys who had injuries that were legitimate. 
but the injuries were such that they could have come back had they wanted. But when you're guaranteed to be a top pick, you know, I mean, the, the, the risk is a lot higher to getting hurt and, you know, after you come back. So, you know, I certainly understand it from the player's perspective. All right, well, let's go ahead and talk about it. I'm sure that our listeners probably already have a clue that we're going to kick things off with Jamar Chase out of LSU. Uh, he's also a Louisiana native from a suburb of New Orleans, highly rec- recruited out of Archbishop Rummel High School. He almost went to Ole Miss, but if you remember, there was a little bit of controversy, and he didn't <laughs> want that to taint his career there or be penalized because of it. So he accepted an offer from LSU. He made seven starts as a true freshman in 2018, but it was the Tigers championship 2019 season. We all remember it wasn't that long ago, even though 2020 feels like 20 years uh, that really raised Chase's profile in that year. He managed 100 plus yards or a touchdown in all but one game. That is a stat per PFF. He as we were talking about earlier, opted out of the 2020 season. And so now there's some debate about his sample size. There is. I mean, right. I mean, he dominated for that one year, was good the year before that, as you mentioned. But, you know, I mean, I, I look at how dominant he was, especially lining up next to Terrace Marshall Jr., you, you know, Randy Moss's son, uh, and also Justin Jefferson, pretty good rookie receiver last year. So, you know, the fact that he was able to go – you know, kind of toe to toe with all those guys, and in some cases, even outpace them in some in some ways. Yeah, he had Joe Burrow throwing him the football. Yes, he had Joe Brady calling a, a very aggressive, brilliant scheme. But he's the one making the place, and uh, you know that's that's the bottom line. So, give me a word that popped into your head when you were watching him that you think encompasses all of what he does particularly well. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, he, there's some subtleties to his game mm-hmm. that, that are that are tricky to sort of fold into one word. But I came up with explosive because I watched the way he gets off the line and, you know, you know, accelerates to stop top speed very fast. I don't think he's a true burner, but the fact that he can get up to, you know, his highest RP, uh, MPH rather, you know, is really impressive. And there's also an explosive element to his game in the sense of his physicality at the catch point. You know, he he plays bigger than his size and and he he's the kind of player who he may not have the greatest time speed, but he plays fast. So all of that was the closest thing I could come up with. What what did you get? I went with instead of picking the one thing he does particularly well, because I think what you're alluding to is that he does a lot of things very, very well, was poise. He never seemed flustered. He always seemed sure of himself. And I think a lot of that has to do with his technique. He is an incredibly polished route runner. That's one of the first things that I noticed about his game and also his ball tracking. And, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned Joe Burrow's touch. Well, also to complement that on the other side of it, you've got Chase's tempo and how he can play with tempo as Brady plays with, uh, I'm sorry, as Burrow plays with touch. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, it was it was a pick your poison kind of situation where defenses yeah. really had to decide what were they going to take away. They had to take away one thing, but you know, as Chase started racking up the stats, it became clear that you could argue he was their number one over Justin Jefferson. Remember last year, the the you know we probably yep. even you know touched on this ground. Jefferson was seen as more of a complementary receiver. Um, and, oh, he was you know, the sure-handed guy really... slot guy, right? He was the the safety valve, right. if you will. Exactly. He was the the slants and, you know, and, and that, you know, obviously Justin Jefferson showed a lot more. And I think Jamar Chase can show a lot more as well, too. I mean, I think you put him in the right situation where, um, 
you know, he gets a little bit more freedom. Uh, I, I, I honestly believe he could, he could expand his game even more. Outside of the sample size, the elite speed that he's lacking and the, you know, Burrow and Brady combination sure. that we're providing him with the opportunity to produce, there aren't any other cons or warts that I could come up with. Was there anything else? Because otherwise he seems like a pretty complete prospect. Yeah, right. I mean, again, it's not elite speed. It's not elite size. That's the one thing that, you know, he's he's a six foot, 200 pound receiver, well built, very well proportioned, moves extremely well. You know, his short area quickness is good, but it's more, I think, from a starting position, like on screen passes, I noticed that he's not quite as elusive like a guy who can, you know, make somebody miss right away. I think once he gets a little bit of a head of steam behind him, he's a little bit more effective at stringing moves together. So we're down to nitpicking. You know, he was my number three overall prospect in this year's class. So I clearly didn't spend a lot of time, you know, you know, uh, harping on his weaknesses, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty impressive package, even if he's not that physical paragon, I guess you would say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we both have stats alluding to his nose for the end zone. Uh, Why don't you give yours first? You know, everybody looks at the 20 touchdowns, rightfully so. The fact that he did it at age 19 against SEC competition and then, you know, continuing through the playoffs, you know, granted they had a little longer this season than other people did, but I think it was 15 games off the top of my head. I, I don't care about anything else other than the fact that he produced at a high, high, high level amid a lot of other players who could catch the ball readily and doing so against you know, arguably the best competition in the, in, in the league or in college football rather. So, you know, he, he didn't really have an off game. I mean, that's the impressive thing too, but the age 19 list, I mean, what, what's it going to look like at 25 or, or, right. or even 30 if he keeps gaining knowledge? So it's just pretty, pretty amazing. What, and, what was your stat? Well, I just want to say in fantasy, we yeah. love the breakout age metric. Like that is a metric right. and advanced yes. stat that we love. So again, that's another reason why Chase is for both Eric and I, real NFL and fantasy, the number one rookie wide receiver coming into this year. Um, my stat was mentioning, yes, the, the touchdowns. He has the most 20 plus yard touchdown catches over the past two seasons despite opting out of 2020 <laughs> that's amazing that's why he opted out right he's like right, don't i can to. still i can still win this stat without actually playing in 2020 what, what a what a brilliant mic drop that is you have an inc- pretty high i mean you mentioned that he was your third overall prospect in this year's draft so you have a pretty large sized a high grade for him can you give it to us and also explain your grading system for anybody who maybe missed episode one where we covered the running backs yeah, it's a system that I got taught by a scout who, uh, you know, has been doing this for a long time. It's a little bit of an old school system, but I kind of like it. It's one that I've learned, or at least, the, you know, what he's been able to teach me. And so it, a nine would be, you know, a, a Jim Brown or a Bo Jackson, right? They just don't happen, right? I, don't, I haven't given out a nine. I don't even think I've given out an eight in the last three draft cycles. So we're, that's talking about that's the kind of grade you would give to Patrick Mahomes right now. You know what I mean? Or that's the kind of grade you would give to, um, you know, Chase Young in the next three years or something like that. So anything above a seven means we expect them to become an all pro. I gave out one seven this year. That was Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Jamar Chase was, I think, a six point three two, which, as you pointed out, it means almost certainly a first round pick. We know he's going high. Uh, and likely immediate starter. So it just kind of tears down from there, and anything below 6.05 would be you know, into that second-round grade territory. 
And what about a player comp for him just to help everybody's minds adjust to what all of this poise and um, explosiveness means? Yeah. So anybody who watched our first episode knows that I went a little uh, back in time, I guess, with one of my uh, comps. I think it was the was it Najee Harris, uh, Deuce McAllister, if yeah. I recall. Yeah. So it's been so long ago, I forgot, you know, after we <laughs> since recorded it. So, uh, but yeah, it, I had to go back in time on this one too, right? It's going to become a tradition now. So I had trouble with it because, I mean, if you look at his size and his, you know, his skills and everything like that, there aren't a whole lot of guys that match mm-hmm. up with it now. But the one that I came with up with with his tough physical approach, his instinctiveness, his incredible production, Heinz Ward. And the thing about Ward was he was often called like a dirty player. I don't want to make it seem like I think Jamar Chase is a dirty player, but he's extremely physical at the catch point. There are, I, you know, go look through the Getty images real under his name. And you'll see about 50 shots of him just posterizing somebody up in the air. And, you know, Heinz Ward, despite not being elite fast, elite size, had a seven, eight, 10 year run where he was one of the most uh, reliable receivers in the NFL. Really good player. So I, that's one that I came up with and uh, I, I kind of like it. I don't know. What, what do you got? I went with a, a more modern day uh, comp, but it was difficult. It is difficult. Um, he t- reminds me when I said poise. I was also reminded of Michael Thomas, the same sort of assuredness to his game. Now, uh, Chase is six feet, 208 pounds. So he's not as big and tall. He's not as tall uh, as Michael Thomas. But I think that he, well, you know, was also catching balls from a very accurate passer, Drew Brees. There's some overlap here. I think at his ceiling, Chase has the potential to be that alpha number one receiver, despite not quite being above six feet tall he's just there absolutely slants you know double moves things like that i mean that's that's his game as well it's just right a little bit shorter and but Mm -hmm. the same kind of physicality i agree no doubt where are you projecting him to yeah i mean he's gonna go high and i think when the when the miami dolphins traded down from three to 12 and that only lasted for about 40 minutes till the next (laughs) development happened i figured oh wow they're they're trading out of jamar chase you know uh, town, right? That mm-hmm. where he's he's not going to get out of the top ten. But when they vaulted back up to number six in the draft, I thought they're going to have a shot at him. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, if the Bengals would take him. So I really do think that Miami would be a great place. They got Will Fuller for speed. You know, they have Devonte and, and and Preston Williams as sort of the bigger, longer guys. They have Jakeem Grant as the you know the little mousy do it all guy, yeah. whatever. And and Jamar's the the glue to bring it all together. I would love to see two have that kind of arsenal to, to throw to. I love that you mentioned it. I mean, I have a different receiver going to the Dolphins, but I think a lot of it depends okay. on where where Penny Sewell goes, right? Like, because sure. the, the, now you, the Jets, we're going to imagine, could pr- probably going to take, probably going to feel pressured into taking a quarterback now that San Francisco's at three. Um, if Sewell... For some reason, and I can't imagine it not happening, falling to the Bengals at five, not falling in quotes, going to the Bengals (laughs) at five. I mean, let's not get crazier. Um, I, you know, I would love a little reunion, a Joe Burrow reunion. And if the Bengals wanted to stick it to Miami and grab uh, Chase with the fifth pick, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I think, though, you, you nailed it when, you know, Miami moved back up. 
um, they certainly have a shot to get that glue guy. He's the glue guy. That's it, Eric. You, you just said it perfectly. Chase is a glue guy, and he can definitely be the missing piece. And we know that the Miami Dolphins are all in on Tua, and now he will have, like, a complete arsenal from which to become a franchise QB. I agree. I, I think I think both situations that we just mentioned I think would be great spots for him. A.J. Green, of course, gone and mm-hmm. um, in Cincinnati. They need, you know, he had 100-plus targets but only 40-something catches. They need better production out of that that chunk of of, uh, of passes. So that would make a ton of sense as well. I'd love to see him get Kyle Pitts, the tight end, you know, but both make perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, for fantasy, this one is tricky because whether he goes to Cincinnati or Miami, there are other pieces in play. Like I'm really high on T. Higgins. We talked about him last year. Um, yeah. And when you talk about a catch radius, like you love what T. Higgins can do, especially as a red zone threat. Um, in Miami, Devontae Parker would be the contested catch specialist that Tua has. Although, like, Tua's timing, as we saw when he was working with Ryan Fitzpatrick, maybe not best suited to the kind of tight windows he needs to throw to in order to get the most out of Parker. So I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think that probably Chase will end up being regrettably in that, like, glut of wide receiver three, wide receiver fours. You know, there's like just a bunch of them and you're like, well, am I drafting for upside based on what I did earlier in the fantasy draft or am I looking for a nice a floor guy? I don't think Chase, I don't think a rookie can really be a floor guy right away. Um, Right. So for fantasy, it's going to be a little bit tricky. I want to see how everything flushes out. But Chase is a guy that I will imagine spending fab on, especially like if Devonta Parker's foot acts up again or he were to get hurt. And Preston Williams hasn't been fully healthy for a minute here, right? Like, then I think, and and maybe Tua gets a full off season with Chase. There's an opportunity for Chase to come on down the stretch. I Maybe I draft him late because of the upside and what else it did, but probably I'm going to, I can anticipate spending fab on him at some point during 2021. Yeah. He's, he's going to have the competitiveness to be ready to go right away. And I still think there's some stuff that he needs to clean up a little bit in his game, but I think the base of talent and the, the, the desire, I think he's also hearing a little bit of the, Oh, why did you opt out? That's a knock Mm. against you. You know, I've, I've talked to some people close to the program who said, it was, you know, he's a competitor. He, it really did eat at him that he made that decision after he sort of thought, of, not that he was ever coming back, but still, the point is, you're going to get a kind of a caged animal, uh, so to speak, when it, when he finally hits the field. Well, nipping at his heels in terms in terms of name recognition among this rookie class is Devonta Smith, uh, who had an incredible record-breaking year. Uh, in Alabama. Before we talk about what everybody probably knows about him, though, he was another heavily recruited Louisiana native. Uh, He helped lead the Amite High Warriors to a state championship, but they didn't win it. Here's the kicker, though. His team did not win the state championship, but still, Smith received the most outstanding player award. And and this is certainly a, a trend that has continued even into his college career because he has a knack for nabbing unexpected awards after clutch performances because yeah. he recently became the first wide receiver. Here it is, the stat we all have, right? To win the Heisman since uh, Desmond Howard in 1991 and the fourth overall wide receiver to ever win it. It didn't go to Mac Jones. Oh, and also, just FYI, you know, he was with Alabama for two natties. So, two natty championships. So, there you go. That's too. Pretty good little feather in his cap. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 
I, Devontae Smith is a player who I think has grown a ton while he's been at Alabama. This is like, if, if I were Nick Saban, I would bring up Devontae Smith because he was, he came in as an elite prospect, as you, you, elite recruit rather. But there was some early immaturity there. There was some question about obviously the weight, which we've, you know, obviously has been a big talking point there. You know, I think he, he really did a great job of kind of focusing and tuning all that stuff out. And, it became impossible to ignore him after a certain point. You know, all the big name, you know, talent they've had there, Henry Ruggs and, and uh, you know, Calvin Ridley, his freshman year. All he does is go out and catch the game-winning touchdown in overtime from Tua. So he's just been able to shine, like we were talking about with Chase, amid a, a cast of stars. The only difference is he did it for four years. Well, that's a very good point. You mentioned his size, too. He's got height. He's 6'1", but only 175 pounds. So there's some worry about his frame. That made it difficult to comp him, I felt like. But we'll get to the comp in a second. The word that popped out for me, though, was anomaly. I wrote small but mighty. But he's not small because he's not short. But he's just like this anomaly because he is so versatile. He is so consistent. Um, He has yak and and the ball skills. He has incredible ball skills. Um, Yeah. And you just don't see a player with his, for lack of a better word, readiness manage as well as he has and, again, just consistently produce. No doubt about it. And and I think one of the reasons why the word that I came up with was skilled, because he really is, he has incredibly light feet. He can change directions like a hiccup. Um, I don't think he'll test if he does run a 40. He may not. Alabama, you know, is he opted out of their first pro day. So, you know, he he would probably test somewhere in the high four fours or, you know, around four or five, if I had to guess. That was the scouting estimate this summer um, when they looked at his, you know, his tape and saw him in practice and stuff. So, you know, that's not burner speed. And 170 pounds on a six foot one frame, as you mentioned, is really unusual that goes back to like marvin harrison you know and and you know isaac bruce back then that was more common nowadays you see these kids coming into high school coming out of high school at 185 pounds uh, minimum and they put on 20 when they're in college so all that skill that he has he's really fine-tuned it to become a deep receiver an intermediate receiver you can take the short catch a long way it's it's really special and there's some thought, too, that his frame is maxed out, right? Like, that, that that's not – the 185 isn't a possibility for him. And that would probably – I mean, do you see any cons beyond that, though? Yeah. Well, I mean, he plays physical, but there are some long-arm corners like, you know, Cameron Dantzler a couple of years ago, Trevon Diggs uh, in practice. I know talking to people at the Alabama program would often say that, you know, he could – you can you can long arm him off the line and kind of slow his release a little bit. If you just watch the 2020 tape and say, how can this guy fail, right? But again, the lack of a historical precedent, right. really, in this modern era, the last 10, 15 years, gives me some pause. And I actually had him as my third wide receiver in this class because I happen to think his teammates just a little more dynamic. Yeah. But I don't I don't think he's going to fail. I'll say it that way. I, that he'll be something in the NFL. I doubt he'd be a bust. Okay. And what about a stat that you thought was particularly eye-popping for him? Yeah, perfect segue because he did it against high competition. People look at those stats and say, oh, I guess it was against Tarleton State or, you know, whatever. No, no, no. Five career 200-yard games, six three-touchdown or more games. He had a five-touchdown game in there. And all of them were against power five competition, 
mostly against the SEC. So, you know, again, like we said with Jamar Chase, it's not him beating up on Vanderbilt. It's him yeah. killing Florida. It's him destroying, you know, the best teams in that conference and stuff. So th- that speaks a lot to me. I mean, that, that really made a difference for uh, in my evaluation. Um, my stat piggybacks on that, and that is that he earned the highest graded season by an SEC wide receiver in the playoff era per PFF for his 2020 effort, which was a 94.9. I mean, right, they're out of 100. And yeah. <laughs> to get anything above an 80 is really good. I you know, I've, I know some of those guys. I've talked to them about their scoring metric. If you're over an 80, you're doing really well. If you're over a yeah. 90, you are special. So that, that, that says a lot. Well, in your scoring metric, if you're over a 6, you're pretty money. Where do you have Smith here? Yeah, I've got him at a 6.12. I think, you know, had, like you said, he. I, I don't think he'll ever weigh more than – 175, 180 pounds. And, you know, that's going to hold him back, I think, against some of the more physical corners. But I do believe he's got big playability. The 6.12 represents a a pretty certain first-round grade. Um, I, you know, could I see him slipping a little bit? Yes, but he's not getting out of the first 32 picks. He had he was too good last year, too rare of, of production to, to overlook. And that's why I kind of settled somewhere in the middle of where Chase was and at the bottom of the first round grade. Your comp is interesting. Hit me with it. I go. I went with Emmanuel Sanders, another sort of slim build guy. I mean, there was always talk mm-hmm. that Sanders was actually below 180 pounds at one point, but um, but you know he's a little tough. shorter. Plays tougher than his. Size. But plays yeah. tough. That's that's my point. He's got the speed to take the top off. Not now, but I mean that is in his prime. You know, the the version we saw, you know, four or five six years ago, obviously was a big playmaker as well. I felt like he had a pretty well-rounded game. And I think that's about the level of player he'll be. That's why I gave him a little bit of a relatively tepid grade. I didn't go bonkers and, and put him up next to Chase. The more I thought about it, the more I think he's he's an ideal complimentary receiver. He could be a number one. You know, Emmanuel Sanders has had some really good years in this league, but um, I just couldn't quite get on board with giving him a little little higher grade. But you, you yours style-wise makes you know, perfect sense. I mean, maybe I'm being biased because of the Crimson Tide connection, but I went with Calvin Ridley, you know, but yep. this was also a player that uh, I, I think stylistically they're same, you know, he's obviously a little bit thicker than, yeah. um, than Smith is, but someone who, when they came out was thought to be, this is they're they're a slot player. This is what they do. You're going to need to have a Julio Jones outside presence to get the most out of them, you know, pulling away this tougher coverage that you're talking about. And we saw certainly last year with Julio Jones in and out of the lineup, dealing with the soft tissue issues that Calvin Ridley can be a wide receiver one. And I think in the right system with the rights in the right scheme, um, I have that ceiling as well for Smith. Now, the question, of course, for fantasy, um, not for people in Keeper and Dynasty, is that can can he do it that immediately? Can he put it all together? I had thought, again, before the initial, the first Miami trade, that there might be an opportunity for a reunion here between he and Tua. Um, Tua played some of his best game. I mean, if you look up Tua's stats while throwing to Devonta Smith, they are eye-popping indeed, but... um, I think it's probably not likely that that's going to happen. I like your landing spots a little bit better. So I will say that mine's probably wrong. Miami was the one I was talking about earlier. But after talking about Chase, I think that probably Eric's right. Chase will go to Miami, which means Smith will go to where? 
Well, he and he did go down to the Senior Bowl and spend a week down, yeah, even though he couldn't true. play, you know, and, and uh, he was trying to convince the Dolphins to take him. So you never know. But right. I my destinations may not be the most family fantasy friendly ones. And I happen to think I think there's a scenario where if a certain team, I can't say who it is, but if a certain team passes on ah. him somewhere in that 10 to 18 range or whatever that he could slip a little bit. So I picked two teams picking it. I think what 19 and 20 or 20 and 21 off top of outside of 15. Uh, yes, exactly. Right. The Colts I think could use another wide receiver to, and he'd be a perfect compliment for Michael Pittman. I believe. Yeah. I, I was a little surprised T.Y. Hilton came back, but whatever, he's fine. Probably in his last year there. We'll see. And then Chicago. Now look, I'm not just currying favor with you, but <laughs> If they can't get a quarterback and there's a run on offensive tackles, what would preclude them from ditching Anthony Miller? You know, those other guys they drafted like Javon Wims and Riley Ridley and speaking of Ridley, um, you know, they haven't gotten anything out of him. really. So I would love to see him opposite Allen Robinson, assuming he's going to play there this year. Now, is Andy Dalton throwing him the ball the sexiest thing we've ever heard? Probably not. But I, I really think like starting out his career in that type of situation list and then maybe expanding into that number one role, I, I'd love it. I think that those are are lovely picks. You mentioned, well, first, let's start with Indiana, uh, Indianapolis, rather. Um, when you think about Michael Pittman, I mean, he was a player that I was super high on last year. I know you were, too. But the physicality that he brings to the Colts is a perfect complement to someone like Smith, Um and we've seen Paris Campbell not be able to stay healthy in consecutive seasons. So I think that that might be a real target. As for Chicago, you know, I just talked about a player like Calvin Ridley needing uh, a player like Julio Jones on the outside to grow into his own and eventually become a wide receiver one. And I think we're both thinking that Smith, you said he's not going to fail. He has that potential. I just don't think it's going to happen in season one. So, right. Ew, here is an opportunity. Um, and we know that Anthony Miller has been on the outs, whether it's for durability or something else. Uh, Chicago has been reportedly accepting offers for him, and they have their, their speed presence with Mooney. So that would look like a really nice trio. Of course, if Matt Nagy can bother developing is another story. But, you know, those pieces <laughs> are certainly there. Yeah, no, I, I think it would be fun. I mean, I I think the Bears, I don't want to give them too much credit. I do think they have something up their sleeve. So we'll see whether it's this route, maybe a little less likely, but maybe oh. they have uh, something. I Maybe they do. I mean, look. Eric's getting really a little bit cheeky. So it sounds like you have nah, some info, we'll but you can't give the info. So you're just we're just going to read between the lines. It's a hint. It's it's not a it's not a promise because you know how it is with the Bears. No, you no. never promise anything, right? <laughs> nope. Just cold and snow. Um, <laughs> all right, well, let's move on to, I'm assuming the player you have number two in your wide receiver yes. rankings, Devonta Smith's teammate, Jalen Waddell, uh, a Houston area native. He didn't just play football, but he was also a track standout, which shouldn't surprise you when you see his game. Uh, he competed in the long jump as well as the 100 and 200 meter sprints. He committed to Alabama mm. and he made an immediate impact on special teams as a true freshman in 2018, but in October of 2020 he broke his right ankle I don't want to talk more about that because I know you have a stat related to it he was able though to return for the national championship game versus Ohio State and in that he caught three of four so at least he ended yeah. the season with his team 
And it was limping around doing it. I mean, yeah. he I didn't think he should have played. I asked him about it. We spoke to him uh, this offseason, did a video with him, did a video with Devontae. Yeah. And I said, did you did you worry you were going to hurt your stock? And he said, no, I'm just trying to compete and get out there and play. And I really thought that was, you know, I, I felt like he was giving an earnest answer. They they rave about him there. They think he's a, a special kid. He's 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 got this sort of, you know, natural energy about him he's very positive like they always talk about like you know it could be after a loss and he's in there with a big smile on his face ready to go to work and so there's just this boundless energy about him but really the one word that i could you know other than that that i could come up with was blur and you mentioned with the track speed he has a different level of speed than everybody (laughs) like everybody else in the field list i just you know and not the not blur like the the brit pop group you know yes yeah, I love them, and you know they're great. From Deuce McAllister he, to Blur, friends, this is right. what Eric. I'm stuck in giving. the '90s, Liz. What they're is back. Wrong with me? I gotta, look, I got I a, I got a scrunchie on my wrist. They are back. There you it's go. Okay. I love it. I love it. What's your What's your one word for uh, Jalen Waddle? I mean, it had to do with his speed and explosiveness. It's yak. I mean, the yards after the catch are, are ridiculous. I wrote down. Yeah. I mean, just phrases that I wrote down: controlled chaos. He gone. Goodbye. Like it's. Just an incredible downfield threat with with yep. vision that I think maybe people don't give him credit for because he isn't just making those big plays happen. He's also weaving through defenders and has the vision to uh, trick them quite a bit. Yeah, and he just eliminates pursuit angles. Like, you know, you, you know, you think about like a safety coming over to try to make a play or something like that. He's gaining an extra step every single stride, it feels like. And all of a sudden, you see those corners having to make a sharp turn because they undercut it. You know what I mean? They're not going to get there. They're going to they're gonna be behind him. There were a couple of great examples of that in 2019 when he was more of a mm. complimentary player and, and certainly before the injury uh, last season. So you mentioned the complimentary player piece and the injuries, obviously, that we've t- the injury that we talked about. How much are those two cons factoring into his overall grade, which I'd like you to deliver next? And also beyond that, I mean, what it, it seems to me that, you know, his route tree maybe isn't particularly varied um, or as varied, I should probably say. And, and yeah. the, the durability concerns they seem to be the two biggest warts in his evaluation. Yes. Size and durability. Those yeah. are really the things that, that worry you. He's got, you know, he's got the broken ankle. He's not going to be able to run till, you know, I mean, I think they're playing it safe more than anything else. He should be fine by the time they report and everything like that. But, you know, big players don't always stay healthier longer, but they, they tend to withstand the damage a little bit more than, than the smaller mm-hmm. guys. He's what, 5'11", 180 pounds or whatever he is. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, multiple injuries in his history, nothing nothing to the point where it's ligament damage or structural damage. Just you wonder if he can hold up for a, for a long, you know, a prolonged career. Well, especially when speed is the thing that we are most excited about, right? Like, and you're not going to get a combine and he's not going to run at the pro day. In fact, like the stat that I had wanted to write, I'd written like this stat should probably be attached to his, to Alabama's pro day. Even if the stopwatch was going to be generous, he said himself that he'd expect to, run somewhere surprise in the high four twos or the low four mm-hmm. threes. Um, but we're not, we're not going to get that number, but I think we're all, we're, we keep coming to the same conclusion about this player. Yep. And and that's why, you know, for my, for my grade, I gave him a 6.22, which is, you know, I think right between Justin Fields, who was number four on my board overall 
and Trey Lance was number six. So he's my fifth player, if I recall. Um, and that 6-2-2 is pretty much a surefire first-round pick and a, an assumed instant contributor, you know, assuming if, if he's healthy. So it's a big grade. And uh, I think I, th- I had a couple more players higher than that last year, maybe like five or six. So this year's top of the draft isn't quite as strong. In a normal year, he would probably be seventh, eighth, tenth best player, somewhere in that range. I've got him a little bit higher this year because I don't think the top of the draft is quite, quite, quite as strong as it normally is, even with all the quarterbacks. Hmm, interesting. All right. So then give me a comp. We have the same one. Again, I think we're, we know exactly, we know very much what this player is and his ceiling is. So, so go ahead and you say it for us. Tyreek Hill, yeah. right? That's our guy. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I don't think he's as thick, but, you know, it's just the, the ability to, make people look ridiculous trying to chase him around. You know, it's like yeah. swatting a fly. You can't do it, right? So I, I, I'm i glad you picked him because I I couldn't really think of anybody yeah. else. I wanted, to, I wanted to be cute and clever, but I couldn't. I, I'm with you. I mean, we came up with the same with the same comp, and our landing spots are a little bit different. I'll go first. I think, you know, you have the intel. Eric's phone is always getting blown up by, like, secret – Secret, um, like scouts, <laughs> secret <and> agents, <laughs> gossipers. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm just sitting here, like, do do do. Here's a stat. Um, but I, I want to say the Chargers, and the reason being, if you are comping him to Tyreek Hill, and I've seen Henry Ruggs comps because coming out last year, Henry Ruggs was comped to Tyreek Hill, and you look at the AFC West, you think that maybe the Chargers are going to have to keep up. That's a great spot. I can't, you know, you think about obviously they need offensive line. You know, they, they want to protect Herbert. But what else can can help him out is uh, yards after the catch guy. Mike Williams, injury history, got to be concerned about his future. You know, we don't really know what Jalen Guyton is yet. Keenan Allen's the man. He does his thing. But Keenan Allen is still a great possession receiver. They need that big play threat. That's exactly, I think, what... You know, I mean, there's two different types of receivers I could see them going after, but no doubt he's got to be high on their list. Who else did you have then? I had Arizona, so I technically had them taking offensive line. Again, this is based on my recent mock. So what I wanted to point out was I think that, you know, assuming let's say Larry Fitzgerald hangs it up. I know they signed A.J. Green. I know they have DeAndre Hopkins, but I really feel like Cliff Kingsbury wants to have just as many versatile, dangerous weapons as possible. They drafted Andy Isabella at number 62 overall. He hasn't done it yet. Yeah. He's had little flashes here and there. Christian Kirk is a hot and cold player. He was good to start the year. Got off track a little, I thought. You know, he's missed multiple games every single year, it feels like. So, you know, I don't really know if that pairing is going to end up that way, but I would love to see it. And I would love to see Kyler and, and uh, Jalen Waddle on the same field, two mighty mites who can, you know, rip off a huge play at any moment. I mean, it does seem like a very Kingsbury pick, right? Because Kingsbury wants the shiny, fast toy that also isn't like all the other things, right? right. It's like it's a little bit different because Kingsbury can't just be normal, right? He's, I mean, other than the fact that he's like, you're probably going to lose Fitzgerald, so you now you take somebody else who's washed. But <laughs> I, I mean, there there is, there is definitely... Um, a flashiness about Kingsbury versus a physicality that maybe some of the other uh, coaches lean towards. Um, and, you know, you got, uh, 
You got Deshaun Jackson, over 30, but still back with the Rams. It's a perfect pick for McVay, adding some speed there now that Brandon Cooks is gone. So there's definitely a a need for speed in the NFC NFC West as well. So I could see it going either either way. But you're right. It does seem like a very Kingsbury target. Well, you saw his house during during the draft last year, right? With like the 40-foot windows, right? And he's kicking back. Like, what a life that guy leads, right? So you're right. Jalen Waddell is the large pane glass house of this wide receiver class. I I, I have no idea what that means. No, I get it, though, because I asked Kyler Murray (laughs) over the Super Bowl week. I interviewed Kyler Murray. And, well, I asked him, by the way, what what would you – how would you like – assuming everybody is retained in free agency, how would you like the uh, Cardinals – to pick in the first round. And he said, uh, I would just like some protection. And he yeah. wouldn't expound. I understood, though. And then I also mm-hmm. asked him, though, if, um, if if Kingsbury's house looked as dope in real life as it did in that picture. <laughs> and he said, I yeah. don't know. I've never been. <laughs> <laughs> what? Homeboy can't get an invite? What, what's going on? He was Let's like, I don't go. know. I've never been there. And I was like, okay. He's just my head coach. Yeah, I've never been to his house. So I was like, that is something. I don't think that made the clip either. That was like a cutting room floor tidbit. So You better save that. I want, I want, the, I want the raw footage. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. All right. <laughs> Uh, speaking of raw footage, now I'm just playing with my scrunchie because we're talking about the 90s and all these refs. Uh, <laughs> Kadarius Tony out of Florida. I mean, this is an intriguing player. I will say sure. before getting into his background, um, this is the kind of player that I love. Like, I fall for this type of player every single time. He's also an Aquarius, which is one of my favorite signs as someone who has Aquarius rising in her chart. Uh, originally from Mobile, Alabama. So we have these two, the past two players play for Alabama. This one is, this player is actually from Alabama, but um, did not end up there, ended up in Florida. Can you talk about how you evaluated him as well, because he isn't your, or at least did not follow the typical wide receiver trajectory throughout his high school and college career. Yeah. And first I got to give you a cool little factoid. He was actually, his mother actually went into labor at the senior bowl, which is, you know, in Mobile, Alabama. So she was attending the game, which is crazy to think about. And decided like it's time we're going to the hospital right we're getting on the road you know we're gonna leave the game we'll figure out who won later and so I feel like this kid was born into football right but yeah he was a he was basically a dual threat quarterback coming out of high school I mean he was a you know more of a runner less of a thrower he did throw I think a couple touchdown passes at Florida or a couple passes anyway but yeah they you know coming out recruiting and people are saying what can we do with him he's an explosive athlete he doesn't meet the quarterback you know parameters you normally see can't throw like a typical quarterback so he was getting big school offers and Florida said come play for us you know we've had about 38 of these guys who fit your profile and we'll make you this you know the Swiss army knife weapon and that's really what he did he played a little a little wildcat quarterback played a little slot receiver played outside returned kicks ran the ball and even though he was set back along the way with injuries and a suspension early on in his career I mean by you know, by last year he became special. And he was he was a track athlete in high school as well. So you see some of that translating into his college game and the mobility that you're mentioning as when he was a, a quarterback as well. Yep. Um, so what? Because he is um, an, an interesting player to evaluate. Where did you start with him? Uh, because I, again, like I don't. I think when we talk about. Uh, Tony, we have to talk about the fact that he's like not like the other. If all of these, which of these things is not like the other, and his um, yep. skill set should be differentiated. I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, 
you know, the, the word I came up with is electric. It's, it's obvious you watch 10 plays of his, you mm. see how electric a player he is. But then you start sort of drilling down a little bit and asking yourself, does he run a full route tree? Does he line up, you know, outside, inside predominantly? Does he win in both places? You know, the little details of the game. Do I think he has those down yet? No, not particularly, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter because he's such a skilled player. I would be shocked if he got out of the top 40 unless, you know, there were there were major, you know, injury or off-field concerns that kind of came up a little bit. So I do think that kind of puts him in that gadget role to start mm-hmm. his career, but, you know, he can expand as he goes along. Yeah, for me, the word I came up with, well, I should say that, Watching tape, broadcasters consistently called him the shiftiest player in the mm-hmm. SEC. But I thought that Crafty was a little bit better than that. Um, oh, yeah. You know, he's got the yak. He's got the power. He's got this awesome change of direction, ability, and suddenness. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not just when you say that, though, you and you watch the tape, it's like the head fakes and, and oh, yeah. the, like, you know, the elbows, the subtle elbows. Like, all of that is down. He's very, very fun to watch. But you're right. He has limited experience taking, quote, regular wide receiver reps. And so that's right. going to mean he's probably at least going to be thought of. He has every opportunity after arriving in the NFL to evolve and broaden his skill set. Um, but he's probably going to be thought of initially as a gadgety type receiver. What is a stat for you that encompassed his whole his whole college vibe? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like It, it felt incomplete, even though he had this great 2020 season, because he missed 13 games at at least one every single year. There was uh, the suspension I mentioned for not living up to the Gators standard. That was the quote they used. You know, I've, I I know what it is. It's nothing that would, you know, make anyone blush, but basically it's accountability and immaturity. That's what a lot of freshmen at high school do. I wasn't, I didn't hit maturity till I was 35, Liz. So like, you know what I mean? I don't judge these kids. I'm just passing on the information. Um, And I think he has grown since he's been there, but the injuries both in 2017 and 2019 added up. And then he opted out of the bowl game. So there was this sense of like, what could he have done with a, with a more complete, uh, you know, resume, if you will, or whatever, or just a more bigger body of work. But I mean, look, he's, he's got that special ability. If you want to watch one, like, you know, porn level tape, it would be the Missouri tape where I went to Missouri. It's my alma mater. Yeah, I did. It was not fun watching him that night, nor was it fun revisiting it for, uh, for my evaluation. He had uh, three touchdowns. I want to say in that game. And like two of the three were like laugh out loud, absurd. Like the point where you're like, that, that was ridiculous, the kind of moves he made. And so I can't describe him, of course, but, but that's, you can, that's the kind of player he's. If we put some numbers behind it, I think it'll help people visualize a little more. 187 yes. career touches, 66 broken tackles, 8.5 yards after the catch. And per PFF, he has a broken he has a he has broken a tackle on over a third of his touches at 35%. Right. That's a shocking number. And I don't think people don't know some of those numbers. That's a stunningly high number. If you if you're above 20, you're doing something good. And so 35% almost double that. That's that's insane. Go ahead and give me a grade. I had to I had to downgrade him for some of the stuff we just talked about. And he's not a big guy either. You know, he's 5'11, 195 pounds or whatever he is. And so I gave him a 5.95, which is a second round grade, which is ultimately where I think he could end up. It wouldn't be shocked by late first round, one of those teams picking the high 20s. But 
you know, a 5.95, I, I listed as possible second rounder starter potential. To me, that that pretty much sums it up, you know, and it leads perfectly in a, a good comp that you came up with in terms of role, where you may not be a quote unquote starter, but you're going to be a heavy contributor, which I think is what he'll be as a rookie. And, uh, you know, that that makes a lot of sense. So I wrote for my comp Debo, but then in parentheses, before seeing what Eric wrote, I wrote, but I don't hate <laughs> Percy Harvin. Who right. do you comp him to? <laughs> Percy Harvin, maybe again, turning it back. Yeah. The, he's not quite as thick as Percy was, you know, he doesn't have that sort of like that running back build, but they played the same position, the Percy position, they call mm-hmm. it now, because he, he made it that a little running back, a little QB, a little wide receiver, a little this, little that, and a lot of yards. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. So those are two great names to throw out there. Debo's also a little bigger, but yeah. still, they play the same way, Liz. You, you've seen it. Yeah. I, I also think when when people for fantasy are watching Tony's tape, they're yeah. they're going to get super excited, and he will be overdrafted because you cannot help but get excited. Like the toughness, the yak, it is all so fun to put together, but because of the maybe lack of regular touches that he's going to see, I have a feeling in fantasy he's going to be overdrafted. I, and this might be a little bit too paint by numbers, imagine him landing beautifully in Carolina, especially now that Curtis Samuel has moved up to D.C., so there's an open role for him, and he can uh, be this new gadgety version for the Panthers. And we saw how beautifully Curtis Samuel was schemed into touchdown red zone situations last year. I think that that is available to Tony. But we don't know if he'll land there. You have a different squad. Yeah, Carolina makes a lot of sense. I mean, I I could see it. The other team, I thought, just in terms of just needs like a ju- you know, a, an injection of Power into their not power, but but just juice into their offense would be the Jets. I mean, I you got to create offense subways, right? I understand you you know you may draft Zach Wilson or some other quarterback high in the draft. They've added some weapons there, but I would love somebody who can do a little bit of everything. And I think you know Jameson Crowder is great. Denzel Mims has promise, mm-hmm. you know. But I'd love to see kind of that do it all threat, you know, especially against tough defenses like Miami and New England. You got to create matchup problems. You know, you have to really you know, test them in different ways. That's why I went with uh, with New York. That, that, that makes sense. I also can't believe you didn't drop a Zach Wilson throwing off base to... <laughs> uh, because it we can works. see it. We it... can see it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, like, that. that those two guys have a little edge to them, too. Yeah. I think they would, they would do all right in New York City. I think they, they'd handle their own. Oh, that's a good point, too. They could handle the market, yeah. certainly, yes. And a nice duo reminiscent of obviously, well, whichever quarterback is healthy in San Francisco and Debo Samuel, but of the uh, Shanahan scheme. Yep. Makes perfect sense to me. Well, let's close things out now with Terrace Marshall Jr. He is out of LSU, originally actually from uh, the Shreveport area of Louisiana. He went to Parkway High School, which was a public. Um, Interestingly, an an ankle injury forced him to miss most of his senior year in high school, but he was still, regardless of that, a five-star recruit heading into college, and he has NFL bloodlines, which I always find interesting. His uncle was Joe Delaney and was a second-round pick who played for he played running back for Kansas City actually like a really tragic passing he was only 24 when he died and he was trying to save some kids from drowning it's a really um sad story but anyway the point is that Marshall has this um NFL bloodline and you know I think you can see a lot of 
a lot of tradition in his play. If we're coming from a prospect like Tony, it's like we're going 180 degrees in a different direction when we're talking about Marshall Jr. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, it's funny because obviously you're going to naturally compare him to Jamar Chase and mm. Justin Jefferson. He's a little different than those guys, but the, the height-weight-speed combination is technically the best of the three. I mean, he's he's really got the measurables down pat. He can run vertical routes for a big receiver exceptionally well. That was my one word. My one word. I'm cheating. We're, we're abbreviations count, Liz. HWS, height, weight, speed, right? You know, that's the classic scouting uh, holy trinity, if you will. So he's got, I mean, to do what he did, obviously, and kind of hold his water, you know, playing next to those two guys, you know, you can't loaf it out there. I mean, he, he did a great job in 2019 and was special. He looked great early in 2022, and those those traits came out. In spades. And we're alluding to the same thing. He is a classic, a classic, uh, you know, six plus receiver. You're right. The, the size, speed. You can't draw him up better. Yeah. yeah just absolutely classic. Um, and I also wrote that he was the third, he's the third wheel with an unexpected third gear. Uh, also, <laughs> I like and, that. And I think, it, you know, we all think we know what each of those receivers did. But after Jefferson left in 2020, I think it bears mentioning that uh, Marshall Marshall Jr. was able to thrive in the slot and can work as a big slot wide receiver at the next level. That's probably not what's going to happen, but he does have experience there, which only adds to his resume. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really interesting point, too, because he did play mostly outside and then shifted in. And, you know, Justin Jefferson played outside in 2018, mm-hmm. did really nothing, and then moved into the slot and was great. That's why there was some suspicion about him. But, yeah, he can do both. And those big slots are, as you know, more common. You know, teams are more open to that idea to create those create those mismatches to get vertical routes from the inside. There's some quarterbacks who just throw better down the middle of the field. So, you know, if you can draw that deep safety, especially with the number of man coverage teams there are, you know, you see a lot of cover one these days. If you can get a vertical receiver his size who can threaten safeties and just open up the outside or beat them. I mean, that's that's a great combination. And, you know, that led me to my one stat, which was Liz, 23 touchdowns in his last 19 games. And again, half, you know, more than half of those were with the other two guys. So even on one of the historically great college offenses, he was able to set himself apart. He's, he's, he's got some juice to him, no doubt. Well, and that's the wild thing, because when we talked about stats for his teammate Jamar Chase at the top of the episode, we were mentioning uh, Chase's red zone ability, and yet we both have stats for Marshall Jr. in that regard as well. Mine was pulled from a Steve Frederick on Twitter. You can follow him at underscore Steve Frederick. I don't know who Steve is, but I found the stat. He's a good he deserves guy. All the credit. It's an awesome stat that Marshall Jr. had a touchdown on 21.6% of his catches and (laughs) double-digit touchdowns each of the last two years. So don't forget about it. It's it's incredible, right? It's so true. And another guy who torched Missouri, by the way. We did win that game, though, I will say. You know, the one thing that bothered me about him was that after it became clear, you know, LSU lost his first game to Mississippi State at home. It was a stunner at the time. You know, they lost other games along the way to at Missouri. It was a strange thing because they were supposed to play at LSU. I did feel like Marshall checked out a little bit. Mm. I felt like, and you know, some people would say, what's the difference between that and opting out? Well, he opted out right before the Alabama game. And I know a lot of scouts in particular were saying, 
what, you didn't want to play Alabama? I mean, he's been torching everybody else. So that reflected in my grade. I couldn't quite get to that that 6.0 level, which is, you know, right on that edge of the first round cusp. I've got him at a 5.88, Liz, which is like, you know, high second round pick, very respectable grade. But we hopefully still haven't seen his best yet because I felt like his focus and commitment were not uh, especially great at the end of last year. And other people have mentioned it to me too. That's interesting. Well, I mean, I when I was looking for comps, we talked about how he was, you know, for the purposes of scouting, like made in a lab, right? With the, the height and the, yeah, weight right. and the speed, the classic yep. style, the red zone threat. Um, I wanted to comp him because I feel like in contested situations, he's always he's also incredibly calm. And maybe it's because he has this, you know, this physicality to draw from. He was born with this ability to like stretch and climb the ladder. And so I wanted to comp him to Devonta Parker for that reason. But I'm so hesitant to do it because Parker in his first years and coming out of college has such a narrative and a stink around him, frankly, especially in fantasy communities that I'm hesitant. But if I could comp him to like modern day Devonta Parker, it would make sense. I also thought like Robbie Anderson would be to me, to me, he's a little um, more physical than Robbie Anderson. Yeah. But I like it, right. Could get deep, could take the top off a defense. No doubt about it. I mean, I came up with, Marquez Valdez Scantling, and I'll never, I'll never mess, I'll never mess that name up again. After Aaron Rodgers gave me the stink eye because I said Marquez instead of Marquez, oh. uh, he then proceeded to say Marquez every single time he answered my question. That was a fun day. Um, and did he also <laughs> proceed to ignore Marquez on the field because he dropped balls immediately <laughs> thereafter? It was it was a it was the game the, the season opener two years ago when they were at Soldier Field it was like a ten three ah. game or whatever he had that one long pass to him you know so, uh, but yeah I give him DJ Shark upside so I think he's got like you know Marquez like you said has this reputation of being inconsistent and Terrace Marshall did have some drops he had some concentration drops he mm-hmm. has some a lack of polish in parts of his game that that need you know cleaning up but so I think he's more of a year two guy if we're thinking yeah. of fantasy terms and Valdez Scantling is always going to be one of those hot and cold guys right Shark is another one who like flashes a rookie and then you saw you know the finished product as he came along so that's kind of where I am in that spectrum no I think all of that makes sense you know it's interesting though I had trouble kind of figuring out a landing spot for him um yeah and you mentioned MVS as a comp. Like I thought Green Bay might be a good sure. spot for him. Um, He's but their also, type. I, I could also see the Titans, frankly, investing in him, especially, you know, even though he's a tight end, they lost Johnny Smith. He was, in theory, supposed to be a red zone presence, and that could be what Marshall does. Not a lot of passing no volume, doubt. not a lot of opportunity in fantasy, though. Absolutely, right. A home run hitter, right? I mean, you know, if you go – one for five with a home run, technically you've done your job, right? I think you could see some of that in his career where, you know, he may only have three grabs, but he could have 82 yards mm. and, and a score. And mm. I mean, I don't think he'll do that every week, obviously, but the point is he's he's the he's swinging for the fences because he has that ability to, to get vertical. I'd like to see a little bit more of a breath to his work, but it, I could see him in a play. You mentioned Chargers earlier with Waddle, and I, the more I thought about it, the more I loved it, but... I also know that they've traditionally, you know, uh, they've had the same GM, Tom Telesco, for a while. They they fall in love with those big receivers with that great catch radius and also those measurables that, that show up in the time speeds, too. 
you know, um, I just have doubts about Mike Williams' future and wondering, you know, whether he can stay healthy and play again. And Keenan Allen's still, you know, approaching his twilight and everything. I, I, w- I would love to see if what, what he could do with the Justin Herbert throwing him the ball. Mm. Mm, I think that those, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And again, this is why we love having Eric because I did not know that Telesco, I mean, I know he's been the, he's been with San Diego and Los Angeles for quite a while, yeah. but um, that he had a particular um, affinity for those height, weight, speed receivers, which I guess, you know, makes sense if you look back, but but see, Eric, you're so good at these nugs. They just are, they're at the tip of your frontal lobe while the rest of us are, like, scrambling. So thank you so much for always providing great little nuggets. Hey, we're like the Wonder Twins, right? We are not. We can't do it without the other one. You put the fists together, the rings put yet yeah, makes it work. And on that, again, very current ref, we will close <laughs> this, this I got you. I'm laughing on that one. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's all right. That's all right. Um, But Eric and I will be back for another rookie snapshot where we break down Cobra Kai as well as (laughs) the as well as the top five quarterbacks. And there's a lot of drama with these QBs. My gosh, draft Twitter. You are so staunch in your beliefs. I mean, imagine that people on social media digging in their heels about something. But um, we will be back for another rookie snapshot next Thursday. We're going to talk quarterbacks in the meantime. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That's at Eric underscore at home. And be sure to follow the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty, as well as posted up with Chris Haynes for all things NBA. (sighs) We're out. 